0: it's said that your real life begins where your comfort zone ends well it's about to get real as we have radically
1: authentic conversations to help you thrive in your personal and professional life while navigating the twists and turns of being human Buckle up, because
0: This Might Get Uncomfortable starts right now with Jason Robel and Whitney Lordson. There's so much to cover in this episode today, so it might be more tangential than we normally are on this show because we also have two other people that are very similar to me and Jason Robel. We have a second Jason here. We have Caroline here. And it might just be the listener hearing us talk and not acknowledging that we're actually on a podcast at all. But I feel like a good phrase to start this episode out with is that I think it was on one of your Instagram posts for Wandering Aimfully. You said that you are humans navigating life and then I read that. And I was like, that sounds so cool. Like, oh, it's so refreshing to talk to humans that are navigating life. And then I thought, wait, aren't all humans navigating (laughs) life? Like, why do we have to state that? Like, are we really at this point where we're trying to differentiate ourselves by saying, hey, we're not only human, but we're humans that are navigating life?
2: I mean, I think we actually are in a really weird time as someone who kind of like, Got in really early to the influencer economy before it was a known thing. Like people are brands first online before they're humans. And you just like, it is a thing now. And you just realize, like, just be a person. Like we say this all the time. We're just like, just be a person, just be a human. Like, just be nice, be kind, think about people before you think of a profit. Like it does seem mind-blowing, but it is kind of the existence that we live in right now in a weird way, especially yeah. on social.
1: And for us specifically, too, you know, sharing a lot about business content. I think the kind of path that we've carved out for ourselves is just trying to remind people that it's a perfectly okay option to choose creating a business, creating an online business, and staying small and staying human and being connected to the person behind the brand. You know, I I do think there is a path that a lot of people take where it's like, the more they grow, the bigger their team gets, almost like the more vanilla kind of corporatized they become. And so part of sharing that message was just to remind people that we're, we're separate from that. Like we just want to let people know that it is possible to earn a living doing something that you love and being a human in the process. And so I also think the more that you can check in with your audience and kind of remind them of your values and remind them of the way that you operate as you go along, then they go on that journey with you. So I think the context of that post actually was just probably something related to like maybe why we hadn't been posting very much or you know, a mental frame of mind that we were in, but we always like to check in with our audience and tell them that stuff to remind them that we are human people and not just like corporate business people. Robot emojis.
0: (laughs) Yeah. It's so fascinating to me that we feel the need to do that because Jason Robel and I are constantly examining ourselves as well because we too started off fairly early in this world 10 plus years ago and seeing that the age of influence grow. I mean, I remember discovering Instagram for the first time and watching that develop. And I I never would have predicted that so much of my life would be on that platform and that I would have to, well, I wouldn't even say have to, but I definitely went through all these different phases of how I was presenting myself. And now I'm like, why? Like, I don't want to feel like I'm Presenting anything, I would so much rather be authentic. But now, even authenticity is like a trend on Instagram. (laughs) It's like now you have to weed through posts to see like is somebody really authentic or are they just like presenting themselves as authentic? For sure.
2: Yeah, it's super interesting because we've even talked about this and like the quality of video on YouTube. Like, there's almost this like bell curve where it went from like obviously like flip cameras ten years ago, which is just trash quality. And then it's up to like, you know, 4K video and like everyone's videos are great. But now it's almost like you want it to be a little bit less high of quality content because you're like, that actually feels like I'm seeing this person in like real time. Like less glossy. Yeah, and it's not like this like pose, like 17 cameras, a red camera, a camera guy, a boom guy, like all this stuff. And you're like, none of this is real anymore. Like this, you're basically just a TV show at this point.
1: But then what's really weird about that is it's like very meta. But once you start having that conversation in your head, even making that choice to go, Almost like go back down. Yeah, that's a weird presenting of yourself, right? Because you're like, it's exactly what we're saying, which is like not forced authenticity, but like calculated authenticity, um, which I think is really interesting. And like, I had this weird experience where I think it was maybe earlier this year, I came across a photo in my photo roll of a photo of myself from a year ago where I had, I mean, I know 2020 is a very, very bad year for a lot of people. 2019 was a very, very bad year for me and for us personally, because I was dealing with a lot of health challenges. And I came across this photo in my camera roll of me in tears. And I was just like, it struck me in that moment of how much, like what a difference a year can make. Because the moment I saw the photo, I was in a so much better place, a place that I, you know, a year prior could never have imagined that I would feel better and get out of that dark place. And so I posted it and I was like, look, like it kind of like sharing, like, listen, if you're in a dark spot right now, like I promise you it can get better kind of thing. And somebody commented and said, or no, they DM'd me and they said, you know, I'm not usually a big fan of crying selfies, but you know, your post really spoke to me. And I was like, what's a crying selfie? And they were like, <laughs> oh, you know, where people post photos of themselves crying to share like a really personal. And I'm like, oh shit, I just did a crying selfie, but I didn't know it was like a thing. And then I was like, whoa, this is a thing now.
3: Yeah. Yeah
1: like for engagement, of trying to almost like share vulnerably. It's just very interesting.
3: It's such a good segue that I want to discuss with everyone that where it it seems like vulnerability kind of as just a general topic started to pop up on social media with like you're saying, Caroline, like crying selfies or people talking about loss or heartbreak or disappointment. But then one thing I started to notice, you know, maybe a year or two ago was that authenticity and vulnerability kind of hand in hand to a degree started to get co-opted by certain entrepreneurs or content creators as a marketing tactic, right? It wasn't just about, I'm having a really hard moment and I want to let you know, as you were saying, you're going to make it through this, even if it feels hopeless, even if you're dealing with depression, anxiety, confusion, whatever the case may be. You know, I have my own mental health story, but I'm always trying to be super mindful whenever I share anything about mental health of not letting any kind of framework of a marketing tactic seep in. I feel like I've been pretty good about that, but I've noticed that people will do that. And sometimes they'll start videos of like, all right, guys, I'm going to get super vulnerable right now. And it's like, if you're telegraphing the vulnerability and giving me a spoiler alert, then maybe it's not that vulnerable if you're telling me you're going to get vulnerable. Absolutely.
1: I've actually been thinking about this a lot lately because this entire year, I would say is probably the year that we've been the least vocal on social for a number of reasons like obviously it's just it's a hard year and you really want to kind of manage your screen time and all of that but also i think in examining it further it's kind of a rebellion or a response to what you're describing which is the more that these ideas about authenticity and because i don't know if you guys are into the enneagram but
0: like yes
1: okay so i'm an enneagram 4 so like authenticity is kind of in my dna it's like my thing And so by seeing it be co-opted, it turns me off from it so much because I don't want to be kind of grouped in with that. And so I've found myself having such a year of personal transformation and going through like a lot of different things as the world is going through these different things and trying to process. And I've been wondering to myself why I haven't been sharing about that process because that is so normally my process. And I think it's in response to what you're describing, which is that I almost want to take a step back to reclaim my own authenticity by not sharing it, if that makes sense.
2: Yeah. And I don't know if you remember, but in 2015, I had done my first social media detox for 30 days in 2014. But in 2015, I was on like my third one. And I was just like, I just don't think I want to be on Facebook anymore. Like, I just really don't like it. And I remember having a conversation with you and saying, the reason why I really don't want to be on there, not because of like your uncle can like share all of his political beliefs with you and you can't not have him do that, but it's more the fact that I know what works. I know that if I post something vulnerable or whatever, it the likes are through the roof and like my dopamine response is through the roof, but I don't want to be in that world. Game. Like I don't want to play that game and then manipulate people to feel something about me because... I can then know what will get the reaction. And that was the moment where I was like, ugh, like I don't want to be here anymore. And I think that's trickled through. And I think that's where like so many of us are now getting on all social platforms. It's not just one or the other. It's like, yeah, I just don't want to use this as a tool to get followers, to get people in my funnel for my business or like any of that stuff. Like that's just gross. Like, and that goes back to the original thing of like, we just want to be humans first. Like we want to take care of people and be kind and helpful and entertaining and whatever, but not just use the tactics that work, And that can actually, like, you know, get people's attention because we're just not about that life. Like, we just don't care.
0: Yeah. It's so fascinating, too, because I have that, for lack of a better term, love hate relationship with social media where I'm fascinated by it. I like playing around and testing things, experimenting. And similar to you, Carol, like, I love the design side of things. And we were talking offline about how I've been. Want to do more digital art because it stimulates me on a mental level to create something and put it out there and get feedback and adjust it. Then there's that side of me wondering, like, how much of this is, is me trying to manipulate people and see what I can get from them or get that validation or that dopamine hit. And that makes it a bit confusing, even though. All of us collectively have been, or I would assume, I don't know too much about your history, Carol, with social media before you started working with Jason, but it sounds like we each have been on social media significantly a good amount of time, right? And to see this evolution happening with the different marketing tactics, and now everybody can proclaim themselves as a social media expert, right? We have all these like 20-year-olds right now being hired as a social media consultants even after like... Maybe only doing it for a few years. And it's just kind of like, all right, well, now everybody's been trained to market in a certain way, but then we're being trained to be authentic in a certain way. And there's a lot of confliction there. And then I start to get so overwhelmed. I don't even know what to do. Like, should I be taking a detox? Should I be marketing this way? Is it okay? Because it's very culturally acceptable to manipulate people too. Mm -hmm. And that is also incredibly confusing. And like you're saying, maybe some people even perceive your authenticity as actually not authentic, and you can't control how they perceive you. So my brain just sometimes gets to this point of like, what do I even do anymore? Like, do I want to be on social media? Or should I? And should I be on there maybe trying to shift things, which I think is definitely the route that I'm going. But when I step back from everything that I've done all these years and try to do things differently or get back to my roots, I start to wonder like, do I even want to get back to those roots? Like, is that the right place for me? And I'm sure you guys go through this all the time, because you're very like-minded with me and Jason Robel in that sense.
1: Totally. And I think I have definitely experienced all the questions that you just went through, and I think for us, part of what helps is just allowing ourselves and actually seeing it as a good thing to constantly be questioning. And allowing space for our opinions or feelings to change on the subject as time goes on. So exactly what I was just describing to you about how this year it felt more aligned and more right for me to take a step back, to be much more present, to not be documenting everything, to be in the moment more, to be processing things, to be consuming things. Like I actually, with all of the stuff I was learning with like racial justice, I really needed time to consume that and process it and think through it. And so it felt good this year to take a step back from social media, but I can already feel myself questioning that, not questioning that, but feeling a shift and being like, okay, now I'm ready to in a more conscious way, show up, share a little bit more. And I just allow space for that to change as we evolve as people.
3: What's the balance that you two have found Jason Caroline over the years with the balance between perhaps when you guys were starting, I'm curious, you know, the origin stories of you guys with Wandering Aimfully and your experiences as entrepreneurs and creators. There's almost like this mantra and not necessarily at the beginning, but it seems to be more prevalent or maybe a little more dense at the beginning of starting a new venture of we're encouraged to find an avatar or find someone who's further along on the path, you know, and we have a lot of examples, I guess, in the entrepreneurial world of I don't need to name off the names, but people who are kind of in this business of you know make it huge and ten x everything and make it big and take big swings and you know no fear and conquer there's a lot of the same kind of memes being parroted over and over. I guess my question is, did you guys pick up the notion or this this idea of we ought to observe other people's methodologies or formulas and then either copy them or co-op them or change them slightly. And has that been a part of your journey? And where are you guys at now in terms of, I don't know, I guess, kind of carving your own
2: path as entrepreneurs and
3: creators versus following a formula that's already been set out in front of you?
2: (laughs) That's a great question. Yeah, uh, I think you guys obviously couldn't see it because it's a podcast and you can't see things. But Caroline slowly turned and looked at me <laughs> uh, because, yeah, I think... I Well, I, just
1: because it's so perfectly teed up for well, like...
2: Yeah, but like, I think it, it also is the perfect question for just my journey through entrepreneurship and then Caroline coming along on that and seeing kind of what's possible, but then also not falling into a lot of the trappings that I did. So fellow Jason, I mean, when I first started in 2008, well, actually before that in 2007, I had a design company, but that was really less about like... Kind of like start up and like wanted to be seen. And it was more just like, I just want to make money and not work a nine to five job. But in 2008, when I had this idea for this, I wear your shirt business where I wanted to wear a t-shirt every day and film a video and and do all this stuff. I was so in the hustle culture that I didn't even know I was in. I mean, I just was like, I'm going to work every day. If I work weekends, my competition isn't working weekends. If I just do all this extra stuff, I'm going to be the one who succeeds while everybody else who's around me is, you know, isn't getting as much as I am. I'm going to have a million dollars in the bank. I'm going to drive a Ferrari. Like it's just all these stupid, stupid ego-driven things.
1: Thank goodness I didn't meet you until 2010
2: because that (laughs) guy
1: sounds like a doucher.
2: Yeah, he is a doucher. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm so grateful that I kind of like went down that path because it really showed me what I didn't want and how trying to chase after those things, it actually made me so unhappy. And it's funny because I didn't know who Gary Vee was in 2009, but we both ended up speaking at a conference together and I was doing a live video show every day. And I'm literally setting up for my live show and this guy walks up and he's like, Hey man, what are you doing? And I'm like, Oh, I'm just about to go live. And he's like, Oh, he's, I'm like, Oh, Ustream. He's like, Oh, yeah, I'm an advisor of that. And I'm like, Oh, okay, cool. He's like, Can I sit down with you? And I'm like, Yeah, sure. And like, I start my live show. And at the time I was partnering with Ustream. So I was on the homepage of Ustream and 20,000 people were watching. And this guy, Gary, I didn't know who he was. And he's like, whoa, you're a big deal. And then all the people in the chat are like, is that Gary V? And I turn, I'm like, whoa, you're a big deal. (laughs) And it was this super odd moment of just like kind of like those worlds colliding. But then like they really quickly veered apart because I was already doing all the things like, you know, the Gary V mantras and all that stuff without even knowing who he was. I just bought into that because I thought that's what I was supposed to do in startup life, in running your own business, only to realize that that just led me to like being super overweight, being super stressed out, being super unhappy, chasing all these goals that had no super bearing in my debt. life. Super in debt, yeah. And it was a really stunning realization for me of not defining my own goals based on what is right for my life and for me and knowing what my values are. Like before I met Caroline, I didn't know what values were. I just was like, Ferrari, uh, <laughs> But I started to really like tap into understanding like, well, what drives me every day? Like, what do I really care about every day? Because money is not gonna be something that if I just have a ton in my bank account is gonna make me happy every day. And the chasing of trying to get to that is also not gonna make me happy and working really hard. And so for me, what's really happened over the years is I have really tried to figure out, let me define what like a perfect day, as perfect as it can get, looks like for me, just as far as like, what am I doing? Like, what am I creating? Who am I helping? Who am I surrounding myself with? And what is all the stuff that relates to that? And that has been such a huge shift for us. And we can definitely talk about kind of how we've shifted, you know, just our mindset around money and growth and marketing and, and those things. But that's kind of like my backstory and how I got started in these things. Yeah.
1: And I think just to pick up where you left off, the reason why I think that story adds so much context to Jason's question is that to answer your question specifically, we are sort of the opposite of like a growth mindset that you see a lot out there. And we don't like to... Because I think a lot of what you're asking is like a lot of people, they see a blueprint that works. They see someone that's a little bit farther ahead and they think, I will just follow that path because that's where I want to be. The problem is for us... Or not the problem, but like the reason that doesn't work is because our idea of what we're trying to achieve is not a quantifiable money slash growth slash increase the business. It's this intangible life that we want to live that feels really good so it would be pointless to look at someone else who's done it because they don't they're not living the life we want to live. It has to be created from within us because we're unique people with a unique partnership with a unique vision for how our life is going to unfold. And so over the past couple of years the way we've shifted to this we call an experimenter's mindset. So it's a lot less about identifying someone else's trajectory and trying to follow that. And it's a lot more about trying to envision your own and then just experimenting until you get there.
2: I just thought of this. We actually have the three E's is what we focus on. Oh my
1: God. What He's
0: never, (laughs) ever, ever said this before. And I'm so scared. Let me guess, is this going to be in an upcoming newsletter after this episode?
1: (laughs) We've got
2: experimentation. Uh We've got What's the second one?
0: Exercise.
1: Enough.
2: No, enough. Enough. That's is true. It a, enough mindset, which we can talk more about. And then the third is elephants because they never forget. Okay. So mo- most importantly, no, it's just the two E's <laughs> are, the, are the most important ones. So experimenter's mindset is definitely something that we have just used and I've used for... Guys, he
0: literally has never said this Never before.
2: in my life. Yeah. <laughs> he
0: just decided. <laughs> I, this might become like a new roadmap for wandering, thankfully enough.
2: Well, we might have to come up with an actual third E that makes sense. I was just I being know. silly. I I love elephants. They are great. They are great.
0: It's kind of like that little guy. What's the name? Well, you have the wizard wandering aimfully. Venizel. We have Venizel, mm-hmm. but you also have like a little woodland creature or something, or am oh, I making hoggy? Hoggy, yes. my hoggy, hoggy, yeah, hoggy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know all the characters.
1: <laughs>
2: yeah.
0: I love characters. So an elephant needs to be added. We're really confusing the listener. I know. They're like, what's happening?
2: And fellow Jason. Jason's like, cool, guys. We'll
0: circle back, maybe.
2: Cool. This is helpful for no one. (laughs) Done a poor job of stalking. Poor
3: stalking job. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry.
0: No, but this is an insider secret, though. And we will link to Wandering Aimfully, which is their wonderful program, in our show notes at WellEvator.com for the listener. We'll circle back to Wandering Aimfully for sure, because I definitely want to talk about that more. But uh, let's go back to the elephants.
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, and we want to help you 10 extra business and make uh nine figures this next year so that's what wandering and does okay now getting on to the other thing it actually doesn't do that so experimentation is the first e which caroline just explained and just that has been something for years where we just want to test all the assumptions so it's like why can't i wear t-shirts for a living why can't we combine our businesses can
1: our business grow without social media going back to our previous why can't you
2: make a really good living doing hand lettering and having a digital course that's twenty dollars you know it's just challenging and trying to do all these things whether someone's already done them and succeeded or whether you've never seen anybody do it and just figuring it out and and just seeing what happens and learning from those experiences so the other thing for us is this this idea of enough and this comes up a lot and especially comes up a lot for us now because we just continue to talk about it so the first thing is how much is enough money and I think one thing that we really kind of like rail hard against is just these businesses where they're like I want to help you be a seven-figure entrepreneur and it's fine. It is totally fine to make millions of dollars. We don't care about that. But why? Know well, like,
1: why you're doing
2: but it. Wh- like, I just want to know why so many of these people had this dream because I know what it takes to get close to running a million-dollar business with my Irish business. And it sucked. It was miserable. It was not fun. I hated every single day. And sure, I wasn't running the most sustainable business, but I know what it takes to, to get to those different levels and the things you have to sacrifice and do. And so now we just ask this question, like how much is how much money is enough for us? Like what does that really actually look like? And let's define it. But also how much content is enough for us? Do we need to be on all these different social platforms? Like, sure, we would love to be on TikTok making stupid videos, but like we spend our time doing other things and to add that to the mix, it would stress us out. It would add a bunch of friction to our life that we don't want. So we do enough on social media using Instagram and that's all we use. And so I think we just constantly come back to this enough mindset of, How much time are we spending on things? How much money are we investing in this? How, you know, all of this is just like, how do we define what enough is for us? And that's just for us. It can be different for everybody else in different situations. And we're all about people defining what that means for them. But just make sure that you check your ego at the door to know, am I making this decision because it's ego-driven? Or is this actually just applicable to my life? Not because I've seen some entrepreneur online who has an incredibly well-crafted feed of photos that they look like they live a perfect life, who's telling me that I should have a life like theirs.
0: And you know, that's part of the reason I love you guys is like, I feel a sense of relief when I go onto an Instagram account and don't see like a shit ton of followers and perfect photos all the time. Like I kind of hope that you guys don't ever grow like a massively successful Instagram because it's like, Oh, okay. Like, because I think part of the problem that Jason Robel and I are working on right now is that we have spent so much of these last five to 10 years thinking that social media was like the key to making money, right? And it is so exhausting for us. And that, that's the important element of this is I think one of the best things that you just said, Jason, is that it is a, a for us factor. Because some people really love making tons of money. Some people love spending every minute on social media. I've had to step back and examine this a lot because I lost a lot of my joy for video editing. I little background for you guys and the listeners is that I was on the path for being a filmmaker and that was my huge passion since I was a teenager. And I thought that that's all I was gonna do, right? And then I pivoted my career and and started doing all of this digital work and moved away from filmmaking as an industry. But I still continued to do video editing for many years. And I used to love it. I would stay up so late. I would go into my 9 to 5 job completely exhausted. I'm very little sleep because I could stay up all night editing YouTube videos. That's how my career started. And it was so great for that time. And then it just hit me like this massive burnout or just lack of desire for it that I felt really bizarre about, actually. And, and this goes back to some of the emails that you've written. Another huge perk of the work that you do is your wonderful newsletter. So we're going to link to that on our show notes, elevator.com. Just signing up for your newsletter is so wonderful because you bring up this not enoughness and talk about burnout and all these things. And I really can relate to that because one of the emails which I had up for reference was simply about this like self-imposed pressure. Mm-hmm. I think it was written by Jason, and you were talking about uh, something that you just addressed, which was, you know, being in debt, and you were feeling like you were lacking a sense of purpose. You felt disconnected from your work. This is something Jason Robel has expressed a lot too. So I am sure he's really interested in learning more about this. All of this self-imposed pressure that you would maybe never make anything of value or substance again, and we just beat ourselves up, and we think, "Wow, like." I don't feel like editing videos. What if I never want to edit another video again? And we just like get into this mindset of like complete fear that's very ruled by all of these ideas that if you're not constantly creating and constantly hustling, that you're going to lose out and nobody's going to care about you anymore. And I think that's incredibly toxic. And it's also, I think, something that not everybody experiences. But those of us who have for one reason or another, based so much of our career and our self worth on how many likes we get on Instagram, or how many people view our YouTube videos or listen to our podcast, it can really lead to a ton of burnout. And then I think also making us feel like we don't even know who we are anymore.
2: Yeah, I mean, there's such an identity crisis, I think, just in being a person online. There's something that I learned over the years, too, which is just that it's really easy to think, being on social or having a newsletter or having a website or having a YouTube account is a business. But for the most of us, it is not a business. And while you can make money through sponsorships and other things, unless it's very consistent and very sustainable, you don't have a business. You have something that might generate some revenue. And I think the big thing for me that really helped out was when we figured out how to make Tea Tree, our online course platform, and Wandering Aimfully, which is basically like a membership coaching community, work as businesses, and it didn't require constant flow of us doing things like pro- posting stuff on social. Like this year, I think we've been the quietest we've ever been on social, on YouTube, and maybe our podcast has actually been the most consistent thing, and our email has always been consistent for years – we've made the most money that we've ever made this year. (laughs) And this is not a blip on the radar for us. I did the same thing in 2016. When I quit Facebook and really reduced my time on Twitter, I made the most money I'd ever made that year. And the reason I think that happened, and I believe that it happened with all of my heart is because it now freed me up to go, oh, the way that I've always been doing things is not the way that I need to keep doing things. I can now take all that time and attention that I thought was being worthwhile because I'm seeing these vanity metrics. I'm seeing more likes. I'm seeing more comments. I'm seeing these little digital pats on the back. That's not money. (laughs) That's not revenue. That's not an exchange of goods for services. That doesn't mean I have a business. And having a business is not everything. That's not what I'm trying to say. But what I'm trying to say is for so many of us, and, and yourself included, Whitney, I think in the story is like, you put all your time and energy into something, you're not getting the return out of it. And if you just stay in that cycle, it's going to lead you to burnout. It's going to lead you to feeling like, well, what do I do now? And, and I think for us, that's where that first E of our three E's that we just completely made that up
1: we now have as a core tenant, as of our a business. Core,
2: core pillar of our business is just to keep experimenting and to keep asking yourself these questions of like, I've been in this rut of doing this thing the same way. Like, what if I just shifted everything? And what if I just realized, like, if I'm actually being honest, being on social right now, it's not really helping. I feel like it is because I can see some movement in some digital metrics, but it's not actually helping in my bank account. So I need to do something else. I need to make a shift. And that could also just be, hey, my life feels out of balance. Like I don't have enough time for my family, for my friends, for my health, for anything else. Maybe I need to change that up because I'm investing all that energy and time into something that's not making me feel good. And I need to look at that and I need to change that. And that's definitely where I was. And so I'm speaking from my own personal experience of, i run into that now multiple times, but specifically in 2014 and again in 2016, I just really had a reckoning for myself of like where I was spending all my energy and making a huge shift with that. And it has really helped to make those shifts and changes.
1: Yeah. And I also think if you're in that position, like you were describing Whitney, where like you're having those fearful thoughts of if I'm not video editing anymore, what am I doing? You know, am I valuable? Is my work valuable? I think if you're, and and everyone I think does have those thoughts. If you're experiencing that. I think it's worth digging a little bit deeper on where that fear is coming from. Because if that fear is tied to, okay, if I'm not creating, what value am I bringing? I think that's a deeper question that each of us has to kind of a journey we all have to go on about our own self worth and kind of divesting our self worth from our work output. And so a way to reframe if you're in that season where you're questioning all of that and you're like, this thing that used to bring me such self esteem because I was putting it out. So for me, that's like my art. When I was putting art out every day and posting on Instagram, and I was getting this instant feedback, and people were saying, wow, this resonates with me. That was building up my self-esteem. But the problem is that it's then creating such a deeper connection between my self-worth and my work. And so when I kind of fell... Not fell out of love with painting, but just didn't feel like painting every day anymore because of burnout, because of whatever health challenges I was going through instead of going, Oh gosh, like now I'm not posting and like, it doesn't mean I'm irrelevant. Does it mean people don't care? Kind of reframing that as, okay, now this is my chance to step away from that work output and really experiment with what does it feel like when I'm not doing that every day? And how can I use each day that I'm not putting that work output out there as a day to deepen my self-worth apart from that productivity? Does that make sense? So like, you know, for me, this year has been really about not sharing and realizing that I have a chance to build up my self-worth apart from what I'm sharing online. And that just makes me more resilient and more in control so that when I do share, it's not because I'm seeking the validation. It's because it's like a pouring out, not a seeking validation thing.
3: I feel like this is such a layered, boy, cake. (laughs) It's a thick, yeah, it's like you got to unhinge your jaw like an anaconda to take a bite, you know? You just got to dislocate it and dive right in. I find myself in sort of this amorphous floating in the middle of the ocean. I've used this analogy before because just to piggyback on what what you guys are talking about, I feel like the things that I've been doing in many regards creatively or entrepreneurially aren't bringing me joy anymore. Mm -hmm. And it's almost like a reckoning of knowing that I felt that way actually for a few years, but finally saying it out loud and speaking the truth to not only myself, but people close in my life and also to the 50 million viewers listening to this podcast. (laughs) It's nice to admit that There's almost a liberation and a terror. And here's what I mean by this. There's a certain amount of brand equity, I suppose, that gets built up when you're known for something. And it's like, on the one hand, life keeps giving you carrots. It's like, oh, you're doing a great job as a chef or a host or an entrepreneur, whatever author, blah, 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 all these titles and labels that we, we, I suppose, craft for ourselves, these identities we create in the world. And on the one hand, we keep getting, you know, sponsorships and book tours and speaking appearances and blah, blah, blah. And and the carrots come in form of money, attention, significance, importance, whatever that is. But the thing that I'm in the process of kind of unraveling and detaching right now is those carrots are not the source of joy. Mm -hmm. Because on some level, I guess my soul is like, we don't want to do this anymore. Mm -hmm. And it's almost like you become a you can become a slave to your own success in the sense that you have a book that does well, or a course that does well, a TV show, whatever the case may be. And then you get the emails and the DMS like, Hey, when are you going to do your next book? Or when are you going to do your next show? Or when's the next YouTube video coming out? And it's this, this framework of, I feel in some ways, constantly either comparing ourselves or falling into other people comparing us to the work we've put up previously. Oh, yeah. And to me, that feels crippling. It has felt crippling at times to almost try and measure up to a previous bar I've set for myself and feeling the expectations, not only internal, but the external expectations. And I'm just kind of like at a point where I just, I don't want to operate in that mechanism anymore.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I felt that so much in 2013 because I had to shut down this shirt business that for five years was my entire identity. Every single day I poured my heart and soul And I got so many carrots from that business. I mean, I was on every news network you could talk about. I had all these different offers to do these different things. But on the back end of that, I was miserable. I was just truly miserable. The business was not working. I was in debt. I was not happy. And I had these thoughts all the time of like, am I going to be one of those one hit wonder internet memes? And it drove me almost nuts just thinking about it all the time. And then I finally just, it's like you said, like I finally just, I think, told Caroline, like, It doesn't matter. Like, I just want something easy now. Like, I just want to do something easy. And that was actually when I made my first online course and just was like, I want something that can just make money without me having to like dance around like a puppet for six hours a day and then like be heads down in my email for the other six hours that I'm working a day. Like, It's not sustainable. And that was the first time that it showed me like, oh, I can teach people something. And in them learning how to do this skill and then benefit their life in some way, That actually feels more fulfilling to me in the joy that they get and the money that they get than the purchase that they made of the thing that I sold. And that was the first realization where I was like, oh, this is kind of more fulfilling. Like this, yes, I need the money because cash does help you run your life and you can't pay your bills on just happiness and love and admiration, unfortunately. (laughs) Not yet. But that was a really helpful turn for me. And what's funny is when I made that turn is when I started to have then more creative ideas. So, it's like the more that I stayed in this environment of like, have to have a good idea, have to have a good idea, I had no good ideas. And then, as soon as I shifted out of that into like experimenting and doing things and just trying more stuff, then the ideas started to come. And it also, a huge thing for me was just removing myself from all of the like very physical attachments to social, to email, to like my self worth tied to those things, like Caroline was talking about. And it just freed me up so much to have more mental clarity and white space that I hadn't had, which then produced results and ideas for me.
1: Yeah, I think also, I mean, we can both relate in different ways to that joy sla- or not the joy, the the terror slash liberation that you're talking about of being sort of on the precipice of knowing that you want to break free of this box that you've almost put yourself in or people have put yourself in put you in. But that is really terrifying. But the thing when I've come up against that point, because it's happened multiple times, the thing that always I think about in that moment is one way to never or to prevent myself from having this fear again is by kind of taking a left turn or doing something unexpected. So very early on in our kind of business lives, I realized that the more we pivoted and told people why we were pivoting and told them why we were trying this new thing or breaking out of what they expected from us and took them along on that journey with us, the more people stopped seeing us just for the one thing, like the t-shirt business or the design business in my case, And the more they started seeing us for the broader thing, which was just like, we just like you guys. We just like seeing how your businesses change as your life changes. And so, you know, if I could go back and tell myself, like when I was in that like terror liberation phase early, early on, I would say the sooner you do this, the sooner you break free of this box that you've put yourself in, the sooner you're going to prevent yourself from ever feeling this trapped ever again because now you're going to broaden your possibilities. Now you're going to give yourself the freedom to make decisions as you evolve. And it kind of goes back to what we said at the very beginning of this, which is we're just humans navigating life. It's silly to think that we're going to be interested in only one thing for the entirety of our business lives or only care about a certain you know value or only be a certain version of ourselves. And so we just very early on have prioritized that evolution as a value and take people along on the journey with us and It's made for some really interesting twists and turns. But now there's so much freedom in knowing that whatever we choose to do, our audience is gonna come along with us, most of them.
2: Yeah, and I think the other kind of like the last point too is as all of us who have been through a lot of change and you've pivoted a lot and you've tried different things, you start to realize like that's a badge of honor. Like people look at you again as like the experimenters. So like, oh, they just try a lot of things. Like you may think internally when you start to do that, like I'm really flaky, oh, I can't stick with anything. And I think there is a difference between trying something and giving it the old college try and actually making it work for three to six months or a year or whatever, as opposed to just being like, oh, I, I tried to sell or create an online course and sell it for like three days and like no one bought it. Right. It's like there's a big difference between those two things. But then it's also just realizing it's empowering to be someone who is willing to try new things and to put yourself out there. You just have to do it for enough time that people see like, oh, you're not just like trying a new thing and just doing a new thing every single day for 100 days. That's a whole different thing you could do, but it's more about just being someone who's intentional about those decisions that you're making as you change and then sharing with people what you learned, how you learned those things, what you're going to not do next time and what they can avoid if they're going to try that same thing. Which
1: side note, that's where the name Wandering Aimfully comes from because it's this notion of allowing yourself to evolve and really that wandering piece, but always doing it with an aim in sight with an intention behind it.
2: Hell of a segue. I'm
3: sold.
1: (laughs) Should have put that on the damn sales page.
3: Like, honestly, whatever you guys just pitched me
2: on, it was brilliant. It was vulnerable. (laughs) It was real. It worked. I'm signing the fuck up. Yeah. Yeah. uh, Spoiler alert. This is going to get real vulnerable. And also- We're authentic. Yeah. It's a $25,000 mastermind. You pay $25,000 a day for seven days. That's right. And then you'll get invited to our sound bath, which is $100,000. But you pay that ahead of time. So but you and, but will be
1: at the silver platinum level of membership, you'll get which a BMW, means that you'll get a BMW, a tiny BMW, tiny BMW, BMW yeah. cardboard cutout. And you
2: 200 extra growth. That's right. Of yourself and your hair. <laughs> so that's our business pitch. Do you guys like it? Is it good?
0: I mean, I'm already in it. Yeah, yeah.
2: Whitney, we, we got Whitney to buy in. <laughs> yeah, she
0: got the BMW many many cardboard cutout. <laughs> I feel like sometimes I sit back and think, This is the best deal I've ever bought. The fact that that. (laughs) I purchased what what used to be called "Buy Our Future," which was one of the most brilliant and unique marketing tactics I've ever seen, because you know at the time I thought I was kind of thinking more short term. I'm like, sure, it's the future, but like I don't really know what the future is going to hold. So I'm just looking at what I'm being given right now. And when was that? Was that 2017? Yep. Yeah, because it was the year we got married. Yep. I mean, three years with you guys. And this is the future, Whitney. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You bought yeah. this. Yeah. <laughs> this is what I bought. And it's really awesome. And you don't offer that like it was anymore. I mean, that was like quite the steal.
2: So this is a really interesting, I think, just road to go down in a way that I have tried to really pressure Caroline into believing that it is a thing that can work in business, which is I want when people buy things from us. At almost every single thing they purchased, to be like, I can't believe that's all I paid, or like, I can't believe that that's the deal I got. So with this wandering aimfully business model now, what was originally called "Buy My Future," so it was just me and it was like eight online courses and two software products I had. But I basically said, if you pay me a thousand dollars, anything I make in the future, because I've got a track record of making things, you're gonna get. You're never gonna pay for it again. And a bunch of people bought into that, which was great. And then I, we changed it to "Buy Our Future." I convinced Caroline because. We had been kind of doing a little bit of crossover. Our email newsletters, we were mentioning each other a lot. We were talking about each other's things we were working on. And I finally convinced her to be like, hey, let's do buy our future. We'll just combine. At that point, we had like 30 online courses together and like a bunch of other workshops and things. And it'll just be fun. Like no one's ever done something like this. And my thought was always, let's give someone maximum lifetime value of us. And we'll probably get maximum customer lifetime value on average of a customer because it's a $2,000 product most times you're never going to get someone to pay that amount, you know, over the term of all the customers you have. And so what that evolved into was Wandering Aimfully, which is we actually started it and just wanted to do a $100 a month membership. And we ran into this problem where the label of it being a membership, it became expensive in people's minds. They're like, oh, I'm used to paying like $14 for Netflix. And now I'm paying $100 for this membership. I don't even know really what I'm getting. It seems a little bit nebulous. So then we shifted it back to kind of the buy our future model where It's a $2,000 product, we call it a program, and you pay it at whatever payment plan you want. There's no penalty for paying it faster or slower. And once you get to $2,000, and I love sending these emails, I send them to every person who pays it off. I tell them, you will never pay us another dollar again. And it is a surprise and delight because even people who buy into it 20 months ago, if they bought the $100 a month plan, they're like, oh, I didn't think that was necessarily real. (laughs) That's amazing. (laughs)
1: Like literally waiting to answer your question. Yes, it's still basically buy our future, and people, you know, once you pay it off, you get anything that we create in the future, and whatever form the business takes, you know, three years from now, you'll still get that. People who buy
0: now the membership will still get that. It's it's like our favorite thing. It is really brilliant, and you know what? I am so excited to share this with you because I kind of forgot about it until I was listening. To you, all the nostalgias coming back, I know you guys sent this is so brilliant. Like also from such a, a like a, I was gonna say grassroots, but like just an authentic marketing, like truly authentic. <laughs> you guys are authentically authentic.
3: Yeah, <laughs> we yeah, need yeah, a new word. Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> you sent out these boxes, these like mm. thank you boxes to people, or, or I don't know what you called them.
2: That's yeah. exactly what it was. Yeah,
0: you, it was called the thank you box. Okay, great. Um, you said they're these beautiful boxes and you asked each person what their favorite snacks were. And then you put one of their favorite snacks in the box along with a handwritten letter and a coin. And I feel like there was something else. in the- There
2: was a little spinning top. Yes. Like a, yeah. An actual like a an little-
0: infinity top. Yep. I saved that. It is in my closet in this like I now uh, repurposed it Marie Kondo style. Nice. I think I put like a bunch of thank you cards in there. And I saved it because it felt so special to me, and you put so much love into it. And it really did make such a deep impression and something that Jason Robel kind of implied. like We've taken so many online courses and been to so many events, and we've enrolled in coaching programs. And sadly, a lot of them are just very focused on getting you results that you may actually never get yeah but that simple process of giving somebody something that comes from the heart and truly from the heart like you both have have given me and so many other amazing people in this group, it's like that ripple effect is so huge, and you don't have to have like this massive online platform and make all this money like that I think that really defines what enough is for you to from my perspective. And that's why I show up to your monthly calls and started participating in Slack and had having you on the podcast, because of that impact that you've made in my life. And, and it's so inspiring and such a great reminder for me, and hopefully the listener as well is like, making that impact on just a few people is so satisfying. Yeah,
2: Yeah. that's exactly. uh, Caroline, and I've talked about this a lot recently, like, I've been trying to figure out why, because social media was so important to me for so many years, and now I'm so okay with not being on it. And it's because I have our wandering, if we call it Wame, our Wame Slack channel, where I interact with this group of people who I really resonate with and I really, truly love. Like I look forward to every day opening up my laptop, opening up Slack, and seeing all these different messages from people around the world. And it's a small community. I mean, it's like 700 people, but we're really talking about like 200 people who are actually active in slack on any given time. And it makes me so happy because these people are intentional. They are truly authentic, not in the buzzword form of it. They're trying to experiment. They're trying to figure out how to carve out their own path in life and not just follow this blueprint that they've been fed by some startup person who has like a really fancy Instagram feed. And to me, that is like the purpose of my day now that I look forward to is I get to wake up and feel like I'm actually impacting these people. And getting back to like the buy our future thing and and like the original thought of that is you are the embodiment of what I hoped would happen, which is someone buys and then like two years later, they're like, wait a second, I still have access to these people. (laughs) And you log in and you're like, holy crap. Now they have a bunch of stuff I can actually use or I'm actually interested in at this time in my life. And it really resonates. And I hope that that is a thing for many years to come, all of the members who join it just is that repeating thing, because here's the thing that I think so many people lose sight of. And you were just talking about these programs where they kind of like they make you promises and they can't fulfill them is they're also really focused on customer acquisition, yeah. constantly in customer acquisition. We just want to be in customer happiness because what we know is as soon as we go to open up enrollment, guess what? You're excited to tell someone that it's open and we don't have to do any extra work for that because we've done the work for years in providing value to you. And that's the long-term strategy of business. It's really hard to teach people, but it's showing it to people in action that it's worked for us and just saying, if you believe in this, if you just continue to do this three years from now, you is going to say, thank you so much for actually starting to do that because now I'm reaping the rewards. And that's a really hard thing to think because you got to pay your bills now. And I totally get that. But if you change that mindset now, it's the Chinese proverb or whatever. Like the best time to plant a tree was a year ago. The next best time is today that is the most important thing you can do is start thinking about how to make those decisions for future you.
0: Yes. And you know what else is another big element of this is feeling cared for and listening to you share this. Like I've always felt very cared for by you guys. I feel like this is just one big testimonial. (laughs) (laughs) But my point being is, you know, Jason Robel and I signed up for a coaching program in 2019. And we won't mention who ran it. But one of the huge issues I had was that I didn't always feel cared for. I didn't really feel like I mattered. Mm-hmm. And worst part was it was a year-long program and we got a good amount of value, but we did not get the results they promised us, which was very misleading. And I ended up feeling like a lot of shame. I felt like a failure because they were like, if you just follow our steps, yeah. yes, you will get these results. This is a very reputable person that I've been following for many years. So very similar to how I signed up for your coaching program. I had been following this person for many years, really trusted this person and felt really good about investing. And I do think that we got our money's worth, but we didn't get those results. We learned a lot, but we didn't get the results. So I ended up feeling like, what am I doing wrong? And then the other part that was so hard for me is that when the program ended, I felt like I was just discarded because I didn't sign up for another year with them. And as soon as I was no longer interested in working with them further, I never heard from them again. I never received a, Hey, like, you know, one thing I really wanted from them was like, Hey, how did the program go for you? And how could we do better? I really wanted to give them some feedback and feel like my feedback mattered. And it was nothing. And even just like thinking about it gives me this horrible feeling in my stomach. So I can never trust that person the way that I used to because I didn't feel cared for or supported by them. And in fact, the opposite effect happened. I didn't get the results that they promised me. And I'm like, was that my fault? Like, did I screw up something? Did I, Am I the, the person that's not following the strategy right? That's what bugs me so much about that racket specifically is
1: that if you're running your business that way, that type of marketer, it's like the crazier or the more shiny the result that you can promise people, the more money you can charge. And so then they charge that and then they get people. But then the key is if a person doesn't get those results, they feel like, well, the person marketed this to me so confident that I could get these results that it must have been my fault. And so it completely absolves the marketer from the responsibility of, Following through on that promise and it leaves them virtually unaccountable, you know, not being held accountable for anything. So they can just, that's what bugs me so much about it is that they can charge so much for it because of the result and have no consequences to not getting that result for people. And it's why we are so careful about the things that we promise people when we sell our program. And we are so careful also about not prescribing one size fits all solutions. And it To be perfectly frank, makes it our job a lot harder in selling things because our promises are a little bit more nebulous, a little bit more intangible. And, but we just refuse to say, like, we can guarantee X, Y, and Z will happen for you because we're honest people. And I never want someone to come into our community and not get certain results and feel like they did something wrong, that there's something broken that they didn't figure out or they're not cut out to be an entrepreneur. Like, that's not what our community is about. And it makes it so much harder to sell at times. And you see these people doing these messaging things or, you know, coaching programs for thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars. And I'm not going to lie to you, like in certain like months, you know, before when money has been tighter, I'm like, shoot, should we just freaking go for it? Just be total snake oil salesman. Like I'm, you know, I have those days where I'm just like, I'm doing it. (laughs) I'm going off the deep end. And then we always just come back to like, no, like this is a long game. And I would so much rather be honest and, and not be responsible for somebody feeling like like it's their fault. Like, no, Whitney, it's not your fault. Like, they didn't follow through on their end of the bargain.
0: And it's so helpful to hear this, and hopefully, the listener feels refreshed by this too. And this actually reminds me of—it's um, <laughs> so funny to share this. I actually wrote you guys an email that I never sent at the beginning of 2020. I didn't send it because I was feeling like. So shitty about myself.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And I was reaching out to you guys because I knew you would understand. And now I'm like, gosh, why didn't I send this email? Cause I bet you would have had such an amazing advice for me, but I pulled it back up because it was saved as a draft. And my question to you back then, which was, I feel like I'm doing everything right. You know, I just finished this coaching program, but nothing's working. Mm-hmm. And my big question was like, why do I feel like I'm trying everything I know how to do, but I'm not getting the results that other people are getting? That was part of the issue is that back then I was part of uh, this bundle sale, which Jason Robel and I have talked a lot about recently because we've been experimenting with these bundle sales. And I did this one this January in 2020, and I was seeing all of these other people that were like my contemporaries, whatever, right? That were getting these insane results. They were making so much money. They were getting all this great feedback. It was like, they're constantly celebrating it. And I was sitting there thinking, wait a second, I've been doing my work just as long as they have. I've been creating the same type of posts. I've been using the exact same marketing strategies as them. Why am I not getting those results? And it led me to days of depression. I couldn't get out of bed. I felt so horrible. Like I wrote in this email to you, I said, positive self-talk is really important to me. But I have to be honest, today I feel like a loser and a failure. I feel lost and confused. I don't know what to do because I feel like I'm trying a lot and barely getting results. And I know Jason Robel can relate to this too. Like sometimes we just feel almost like angry and resentful. And I think it's such an important thing to discuss because we are in this time where so many people are saying, like, just follow this and you'll get that. But what people don't talk about is what happens if you don't get those results?
2: Yeah. First of all, thank you so much for sharing that. Second of all, you should hit send because you know I reply to every email. So you're going to get a <laughs> reply. That's the difference for us and a lot of people. in getting back to what you said earlier, too, is like we just really care about how people are. Feel when they contact us. Like, we never want it to feel like, oh, like our assistant, re- you know, replied. There's nothing wrong with that. If that's something that someone wants to do because they can't handle that and like it affects their mental health this to be in their inbox. This is also where
1: the robot emoji comes in. This it's is like, where you're an email yeah, robot. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So.
2: But to specifically talk about your question and to, I mean, really just hopefully make you, fellow Jason and other people listening to this feel validated is we all have felt this feeling and we will continue to feel it, unfortunately. And I think it's one of those things where kind of like the immediate practical problem solver in me is to go, okay, well, first of all, you got to take inventory of your life and your business and go, what is working now? Like remove all external things and just go, are you able to provide for yourself? Are you able to put a roof over your head? Are you able to keep your family safe? Like, are all those things taken care of? Because if they are, then all the stuff that you've been trying to do, it doesn't really matter. You know, it's just like, yeah, you spent money on it, you invested time in it and all that. And that's fine. And the second thing to do is to be like, well, who am I comparing myself to? Yep. And who am I surrounding myself with? And should I continue to do that? And I know for me, that's where like 2013 me was like, I don't want to be in the same sentence as Gary Vee, Lewis Howes, like all these other bro entrepreneurs, because I was definitely living that life. I just I don't want what they have. I really don't. And I don't want the, the growth and the stress and all that stuff. And so I think the thing that was really important for me in that time was just to literally mass unfollow everybody and just to go, let me just get back to ground zero. And like, who do I want to surround myself with? Who do I want to be looking at and getting inspiration from? And maybe it's from nobody. Maybe I just need to like step out completely and go, I've got Caroline, my wife, who's amazingly creative and we have lots of awesome conversations and that's good enough. And now let's get back to, okay, if I am trying to grow the business or do whatever, Why am I trying to do those things? Like, let's get back to that again. That goes back to the enough mindset, E number two. Uh, We'll get to elephants later. (laughs) Really understand like, okay, I do want to two times my revenue every month. Okay, why? Like, what am I? Okay, I'm trying to save it for a house. I'm trying to do whatever. Okay, good. Now I know I'm trying to do it. How am I trying to do that thing? Okay, great. I tried it this way. It didn't work. That's fine. It may have worked with other people. I have to ignore that. Let me try another version of something I can do that I can control. And let's see how that works.
1: Yeah, this is one area where I tend to be the more emotional of the two of us. For sure, 100%. Listener, if you're picking up on that. But this is where your logical brain really helped me because the last time that I felt this way, and yeah, just going back to what you said, Whitney, in your email, 100%, I have felt that. The resentment, the feeling like a loser, the seeing people celebrate their big launch or their big thing and going, I know that they are not somehow more magically talented than I am. What am I missing? And this is where I realized, okay, the more I focus on their results, the more I try to figure this out through the context of what someone else is doing, like trying to deconstruct, okay, what's the missing piece that they have and I don't, the more I feel shitty about myself. And the more shitty I feel about myself, the less motivated I am to work, to experiment, to try something new. Because the voices of self-doubt just get louder and louder. And so this is where you're my Jason, (laughs) you're a logical brain. Which
2: one's mine? Because now New Jason might be. New Jason's my Jason. Jason. (laughs) (laughs) You're just collecting Jasons now. Internet Jasons. Yeah, I love it. All
1: my Jasons. Yeah. That was where the logical part really helped me to go, okay, you know what? I know that it's only a matter of time before going back to the first E experiment, before Mm. I experiment with something that does click. But I can't get to that experiment if I feel shitty about myself, if I focus on these other people. And so I did the same thing that you did, which was I'm just not going to allow that into my exposure. I'm not going to focus on them. I'm going to fight the urge to go look them up on Instagram and see what they're doing. I'm going to fight the urge to go to their website so that I can nitpick it and feel better about myself. Because those are all things I've definitely done. I'm a human being. And so once I train myself to do that, I realize that, yeah, it's just a matter of finding motivation to get the next experiment going and then believing that it's only a matter of time. And that's really how we approach it.
2: I will say too, one more point to that. Whitney, I wish that you would have sent this email because I think you see this when you hang around our wandering aimfully Slack community. When people are willing to share this and be vulnerable, it helps you get over that situation much faster so that you're not internalizing it. So you're not continuing spiraling. to think about it. So you're not staying in your own head By hitting send on that email, and this is for anybody listening to this, hit send on the email because that may in itself be the relief you need to be like, Oh, I finally got that like out of my brain and I got it. I sent it off into the world to someone else. And regardless of what they respond with, if that's helpful or not, I just feel a little bit better. And we just know from experience, the more that you can share those losses, especially, the more that you can see other people say, I've been there, like I know exactly what that feels like, or, hey, even if I haven't been in this exact situation, I'm here to support you if you need that. And that in itself, I think is why we're so happy to have a community like we have. But I think it's why it's also worth hitting send on that email or hitting send on that DM or whatever it is, if you're in a position that you want to reach out to someone and share most people, if they are good people, if you share that with them, will definitely be like, hey, I've been here and and you're, you're seen. It's all okay.
1: This is just going back to the blueprint question, why we don't subscribe to anyone else's blueprint? Because business is so nuanced. Everything is different. You change one thing and your outcome could be different. You change the name of your business, you change the the branding, you change the product, you change your audience, you change who you are. All of these things are there's an infinite number of variables. And so really when you think about comparing your journey to someone else's, it does become sort of irrelevant because you're just like their variables are so different than mine and so it's just a matter of working with the variables you have and then experimenting to find something that does click
0: for sure just to end this you know it's so wonderful to get your responses now almost a year after i wrote this and and to think about like where i'm at now versus where i was at the beginning of 2020 and i don't really know why i didn't send it i mean maybe i felt shame or embarrassment like maybe it was so intense cuz i mean it was really rough and i think i normally wouldn't have even written in the email like that cuz i'm such a a person that tries to figure things out myself for better or for worse you know like i can do this like i'll just like you know meditate or i'll just uh you know uh, do some yoga or i'll journal about it and i'll get the answers like it's that desire to wanna do it on my own because i don't always trust that other people are going to support me like that's one of my Core challenges is that I get triggered when I don't feel supported. And I remember in that time, like you guys were the actually the only ones I could think of. I remember sitting down and thinking, who can help me through this? Who's not going to like give me some generic answer? And that's why I wrote it to you. And maybe just the process of writing it was actually all I needed to your point, Jason. Like I just, I didn't need to press send, or maybe I didn't press send, or maybe it's an and or maybe I didn't press send because I was feeling so embarrassed and ashamed of like, I'm such a failure mentality. And Jason Robel, I'm I'm curious where you come in on this, because I know you've struggled with this too.
3: Well, first of all, without turning this episode into a, a therapy session with Jason and Caroline, uh, although I think the third E could be ecstasy if you guys <laughs> okay, next yeah, year yeah, yeah. want to send out MDMA.
2: <laughs> yeah, we're, um, down. we're, down. Yeah. we're um, down. Yeah, I think that's the
1: boxes. Yeah, you know opportunity. what? Yeah,
2: new new thing. And the yeah, just, 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 just to including suggest. one. Yeah. Totally. one it. pill of MDMA. Just one. Just get people just on it. Yeah, no label. Just <laughs> have fun. See how it feels.
3: So, in in kind of like taking the virtual MDMA. I you know to piggyback on what, what Whitney's saying, having having been on my career track for for 15 years and and doing online content and op- entrepreneurship for uh, a decade now, uh, I feel I feel like burnt toast. I feel like the crispy mm. chunks of the crust that have fallen <laughs> to the bottom of the toaster oven. That like two years later, like oh shit, that's why it smells like everything's burning all the time because there's this crispy <laughs> edge in the back of the toast. I feel like that right now, and and yeah. and. I want to admit that I feel that way, and I think part of it is that, um, you know, the the Einstein quote, "Doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results is the definition of insanity." It's like I I, I don't have any desire to keep doing things the same way. I feel burnt like crispy. Toast crust at the bottom of the oven, but I also don't know what to do next. It's interesting because because I, I I'm vibing so hard on what you guys are talking about with experimentation, but I have no idea what experiment I even want to conduct next. So mm. it's almost like this purgatory of I want to I want to <laughs> I want to kind of detonate my old identity. You know, and the yep. people that I hold in high regard are these chameleonic people. Um, David Bowie is one of my favorite artists of all time because he just he was just such a chameleon and reinventing himself all the time with his sound, his look, his vibe. Um, but also at the at the core, very much you know, David Bowie, just very much yeah. David. Yeah. Um, I guess my 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 question and sort of my my I don't know, just rant my my mental vomit piggybacking on Whitney's comment is is. Uh, I'm done doing the old stuff and I want to proverbially detonate my old identity, but I have no idea what experiment or who I'm even becoming. And it's like, uh, what, okay, do, but also like taking a sabbatical is, is this weird thing. Cause it's like, you know, I don't have seven figures in the bank, so it's not like going to be this eat, pray, love move of like, I'm just going to go to Bali for six months and fuck it. Um, <laughs> there's nothing wrong with that, yeah. but I don't, <laughs> yeah. I don't necessarily feel that that would be a great option for me financially
2: or during COVID
3: or during COVID. So it's like, If we feel lost and burnt out and like, I don't know what's next, how the hell do we reinvent ourselves? I know that's such a macro question, but that's where I'm at. And I kind of want to just pull the plug on everything I've done before, but also entering that part of the forest at, you know, Joseph Campbell talks about the dark path in the forest. Like, I don't know where this is all leading. God almighty. And it gives me so much anxiety, so much anxiety.
1: This is where I go with this question, because I think this is a great question that a lot of people can relate and i'm going to use a metaphor and if you listen to our podcast you'll know sometimes they land and sometimes they do not <laughs> so i want everybody to walk on this journey with me but the visual that's coming into my brain as you're describing this is i feel like you've constructed this like lego tower out of like all these different pieces and you said your career has spanned you know 10 15 years and all these pieces have come together to build this thing and you're ready to just blow up the thing in your mind you're like okay i know i want the tower to be different i want it to be a different tower But I feel like some of the pressure is coming from thinking you're going to assemble a new tower right away. And the way that I approach this is going, okay, let's not focus on the new tower. Let's focus on the pieces. So let's blow up the old tower into its individual little teeny tiny pieces. And then let's see what of those pieces is just like a spark of joy that you can pursue that can turn into an experiment. So the simplest way that I would approach this is to just literally write a list and be like, What is everything I can think of, of the old Lego tower that I actually liked? I mean, everything from like, you know, talking to this person to this actual skill that I developed along the way, or this thing that I always find myself like reading articles about, like just a whole, like I call it your light up list. Like the things that light you up, those are your Lego pieces. And then not putting pressure on yourself to construct a tower right away out of all those things. But to go, okay, which one of these kind of like sparks a little bit of curiosity in me? And can I go down a rabbit hole? Or can I just allow myself to pursue the tiniest step forward on a path using one of those things as the first step?
2: Yeah. I mean, Whitney can forward you the email that we just sent out about burnout, I think, two weeks ago. So that's going to be a lot of what I'm about Missed to repeat. Missed opportunity
1: for us
0: not to call ourselves burnt toast because I love that
1: visual. Oh,
2: yeah. Burnt toast.
0: <laughs> and full disclosure, I probably did forward it to Jason, but he does actually get overwhelmed and burnt out by reading emails. So like, how do you overcome that when all the information's there for you, but you can't even read it?
2: And our emails are long. So that's the other True. thing. You're like, oh, great. I'm buying into like a tome here uh, via my computer. <sighs> Yeah, I think the interesting thing that you brought up, which I think a lot of people deal with, is when you think about taking a sabbatical, it becomes this idea of like, okay, I got to have like six months to a year where I'm not doing anything. And I think a 30-day sabbatical, which is something that most people can figure out in some way. And we don't always tell people that you should do this, but there are people, and we've been in this place before, where maybe you have to put all of your expenses on a credit card for a month. And we're not the people who want you to accrue debt. We are all about paying off debt and being super frugal with money. But sometimes you need to leverage that as an opportunity to create space for yourself where you can go, I need 30 days to just not do. And I need 30 days to just be with myself and my thoughts and my family and just write down the light up list and to examine all my little Lego pieces and to go, what do I want to be doing? And by the end of that 30 days, I almost guarantee you, we don't make any guarantees except for 10X in your revenue if you pay $25,000 a day for seven days. <laughs> but... I almost guarantee you that in 30 days, if you just every day went through this process and it's not like you're repeating the process every single day, you're just going through the thinking, the exploration, the what could I create? What could I make? What is exciting to me? What opportunities are around? What businesses? Maybe do I just want to work for another business for a little while and like take all the stress and pressure off of myself. By the end of that 30 days, you will have something that is staring you in the face and it's going, hey, I'm your next Lego tower to build. And you're not gonna build it in a day, you're not gonna build it in a week, you're not gonna build it probably in a month. But I am showing you the opportunity where now you can take the pieces from your existing tower and you can start to lay the foundation of that next tower.
1: I'm hearing like this metaphor landing. It did, it okay. did, okay. it did, it All
2: did. Right. Also, we just love Leg on this family. So <laughs> but I think the other thing that's really important is Acknowledging the fact that burnout is not something we really have an understanding of how to deal with because it is so new to us. Like, I think Jason, you and I have been in business for about the same time and working for ourselves about the same time. When I got burnt out in 2013, I'm not trying to win an award saying I was like early on burnout, but not a lot of people, (laughs) I felt like, were burning out of working on the internet back then. So I didn't have anything to look to to understand what I was going through. Other than just a really supportive person next to me to be like, hey, we're going to figure this out. But the key is to not try and force figuring it out because forcing is what got you into burnout by doing all these other things. And as opposed to just being like, let me loosen the reins on everything a little bit and try and just chip away and allow things to happen.
3: The sagacity that is flowing through this podcast right now is just legendary. Is that because of the MDMA or?
2: Yes. (laughs) It's because I'm high
3: right now. Yeah. Okay. Good. Good. (laughs) Just wanted to be aware. I have been high on the podcast before, but it's because of pain meds, but that's a different conversation. That's interesting. It's interesting to podcast when you're high. The sort of offshoot that I have, maybe scaling back to reinventing ourselves or inviting the new evolution. When you guys have shifted away from the t-shirt thing and all the different variations and versions of your business offerings... Did you find value in communicating to the people on your mailing list or on social media like, hey, we're not doing the t-shirt thing anymore, and here's why. This is what we're doing now. And for lack of a better word, I don't want to use the word training them or conditioning them, but to kind of default to people get used to you doing one thing and doing it well, and then they're like, you're the t-shirt people, or you're the chef, or you know, you're know, you the dog walker, or you know, you make hydroponic lasagna. I don't even know what that means. Yeah, but it sounds delicious. I Love it. Um, Now I want lasagna. But did you find value? And did you guys do this where like, we're going to publicly announce the fact that we're pivoting and here's
2: why? This is our favorite thing to do. Yes.
1: And I don't know if I can say that this is like how you should do it, but this is how we've always done it. And it kind of goes back to what I was saying before about maybe a part of it is selfish because it's like, I want the freedom to be able to pivot in the future. And so if I want that freedom, I have to be like making sure that every time that again, going back to my metaphor, the box, every time that box starts to get sort of like solidified, you have to like actively like break the walls a little bit so that it doesn't get unmovable, if that makes sense. So like along the way, we're always checking with our audience and saying, here are the decisions we're making. Here's why that doesn't work for us anymore. Here's how we've changed as people and why we're going to move towards this other thing. And luckily, as Jason was kind of describing before, we have built up enough credibility and trust with our audience. They've seen us actually you know, move projects forward. They've seen us deliver on our word. And so there's trust there. So when we check in with them and say, hey, we're not doing that anymore. We're moving on to something else. It doesn't come across as, oh, these people are untrustworthy or can't keep their word or can't stick to anything. They understand where that intention is coming from. And it's because we've been super transparent with them from the beginning. But I find that checking in with people and saying that is a way to make sure that those walls in the box don't ever get so fixed that, that it becomes like a prison. And instead, it just keeps the walls kind of flexible and says, all right, here's the container we're in for this year. And it, maybe it'll change in two years. In fact, I think our audience has come to expect
2: that. Yep.
0: Another element of this that Jason Robel could speak to, and I want to begin with Carol's input on this, is like, managing mental health when, you know, you're going through a really challenging time with your mental health, like running a business during that time. Like, you know, you guys spoke so openly about Carol's experience with anxiety, which I actually felt was really helpful because A, it reminds people like me, like, oh, okay. Like you struggle with your mental health too sometimes. And this is how you handle it publicly. And you guys are fortunate to have each other where Jason was able to take over the business for that time. But it wasn't like it was, oh, I just need a week off to recover from my anxiety. This was a long process for you, Carol. And I think that's another part of this equation for Jason Robel is, you know, he publicly talks about his struggles with mental health. And, you know, it's not easy when you're feeling depressed or anxious or sad or stressed out or burnt out. Like I mean, even burnout, I feel like, is another element of mental health that's becoming more and more common. I'm curious for you, Carol, like, how long was it that you were taking the time off? And like, how did you even know when you were ready to come back to do your work?
1: Yeah, I mean, luckily or unluckily, my mental health struggles, specifically anxiety, shows up in my body in ways that I can't ignore. And so to answer the last part of your question first, I know I'm ready when my body is not rebelling against me and I ease back into it very carefully. And I I am very now attuned to my body signals in telling me, okay, if I'm sitting at my laptop for an hour and I'm getting dizzy, I'm not ready to come back to work. And so my body is just sending me those signals. But yeah, to answer your question, like 2019 was such a hard year. It hit me. I've dealt with anxiety in varying degrees over probably the past... I mean, really my whole life looking back, but of course, more acutely over the past like five or six years. But at the beginning of 2019, it hit me to such a degree that I had never experienced before. And it showed up in crazy physical symptoms. I had a period of time where I even was like, not like I had depersonalization, derealization. And anyone who doesn't know what that is, it's like you physically feel like you're not seeing the world from your perspective. It's like you're disconnected from your consciousness, which is a really weird way to describe it. Um, also, I'm not a clinical <laughs> psychologist in any way, but this is my understanding of it. And it's a really scary feeling because you feel like you're going crazy. And for Jason to have to walk me through that for what lasted, you know, in a really severe way, about six months, but I was healing for the entire course of, an, of a year. And it's hard to give people advice about walking through that because I am so privileged to have a partner who was able to support me in a partner in my business who was able to keep the business afloat while I was dealing with that. Because the things that worked for me, I can't necessarily prescribe to other people to say like, yeah, devote 100% of your time to your mental health and your business won't fall apart. The only reason our business didn't fall apart is because of Jason. And I know that was a really hard year on him as well because he was caring for me and keeping our business afloat and somehow managed to grow the business. I'm really not sure how he did that. I think maybe he...
2: You just want to say it again into the microphone <laughs> like a little bit just like slower for everyone to... You know, get
1: You did great. But an important thing that I'm really passionate about now is... And again, why it showed up on our Instagram feed of we're just humans navigating life is because we have seen the absolutely detrimental effects of what happens when you don't care for your mental health, mine specifically... We now know as a family that is our absolute number one priority, period. So, like, if our entire business had to fall apart in order for me to be okay, we would do that. And it's because there is money cannot buy health. health. Money cannot buy health. And, like, the darkest places that I was going in my head, like, a business is not worth staying in that dark place. So, if push comes to shove and I have to get out of that dark place or I have to show up for my business, I'm going to do whatever I have to do to show up for my mental health first. And so that's what that year really taught us is that this is the most important thing. And that's why now we are more focused than ever on being intentional and deciding how much work is enough for us. Because I'm not going to push to my limits anymore because I know what where that gets me. And it's, I can't go what? back there.
2: And just for what? Exactly. Like, to make an extra thousand dollars a month and then you're derailed for six months. Like exactly. it's not worth it. And And I think- if you've never lived through someone dealing with actual mental health issues, like I think all of us have felt, I mean, I have heard that anxiety feels a certain way. So I can empathize <laughs> yeah, slightly. Yeah. That's a 30, is empathy.
1: Ooh, that's a good 30. That's a good That
2: actually works. But everybody knows what it feels like when just like you're run down, you're burnt toast, you're dealing, you know, something is not right. And I think that until you go through that, it's very hard to realize how much that matters more than everything else. Because it's just so easy to get stuck in the rabbit hole of, I got to make more money, I got to optimize my funnels, I got to get my marketing going, I got to get my content, I got my podcast, like all these different things. And then when something hits you, when it derails you, especially a mental health issue, you then realize like all that stuff is so trivial and it is so not important, but we build it up to be so important because again, we surround ourselves with people who are also building it up to be so important. And I think that was a big thing for us last year too is, When all this started happening, as I was only focusing on keeping our business afloat and your mental health are my two things, I basically just had to be like, well, everything else gets pushed to the wayside. So I'm not worried about creating any content. I'm not worried about doing anything. I'm just trying to figure out how do we continue to make our members happy? How do we get a couple more new members a month so we can make our bills? And then how do I make sure you're taken care of? And it really strips away everything else you can do to show you, oh, we can still survive. And actually, we can thrive. we have to get scrappy and we have to do things a little bit differently or come up with different experiments we can try. And there are so many things I tried in those first three months while you were kind of down for the count. They didn't work at all. They fell flat on their face. But I did see a couple things that worked and I learned things. And it's just because I was willing to keep trying stuff that wasn't what we'd been doing forever.
1: Yeah, you go through kind of like a crisis and you realize what the most important things are. And you also realize how you can get by only focusing on the most important things and how much the other stuff falls away. So I think That gives us this amazing context now for I think maybe that's why this year it's been a little bit easier for us to focus on the things that matter and then let everything else go. It's because we have the context from last year. And the mantra I just say to myself now is that stepping back is getting ahead. So I used to have this mentality of like getting ahead is getting ahead. (laughs) But now it's like, okay, I see what happens when I push to the very edge. And it could potentially end up with a year where I can't work. That's literally what happened, a year of not working. So now if I feel myself getting to that even way before that edge, I pull back way sooner because stepping back is getting ahead because it means I'm not going to have potentially a year where I can't work.
3: This is so valuable for so many reasons for me to hear. And I just appreciate you guys sharing in such depth and... and We need a different word other than (laughs) (laughs) real, 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 real. I often feel, I think I'm decoding and deprogramming a lot for myself in the sense of taking a step back, as you mentioned, Caroline, of the fear of disappointing people, the fear of disappointing people on my mailing list, the fear of disappointing people on social media, the fear of disappointing Whitney as my business partner. But I'm getting better at Communicating to the people in my life of you know what I'm not going to do this right now because I need to go take a nap. I'm not going to do this right now because if I sit down and answer one more email, I feel like that is going to be pushing me to my edge. And and it's this interesting thing of for some people that's not their edge. You know, some people can sit down and just you know plow through fifty emails. But this idea of paying attention to our body signals I think is so valuable and so useful in the sense that. There are some days I can sit down and bang out, you know, 25 emails in a row. There are some days where I sit down and I know that I need to reply to certain people, but my body starts to have a reaction to the idea of emailing them back where I'm like, the world will not end if I take a day or two. And, you know, even though some people might be, we got to get these emails. It's like, I know that, but I'm also going to try and either delegate or just put a pause button on this thing and get to it in a day or two. And I think the somatic experience of listening to our bodies is absolutely critical. And I love that you're saying this. One question, as I feel we're intuitively maybe coming closer to the finish line of this episode, I just lost the question. Son of a biscuit.
2: Son of a biscuits and gravy. It was right there. Your brain was like, just kidding. Three more hours. Here we go. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: <laughs> Jason's trying to remember his question. I'll just say it is so wonderful to know people like you and and actually one word that I wanted to make sure I shared before we wrapped this episode was that I feel like people like you are kind of for lack of a better word giving me permission like you showing up the way that you show up is like oh I can show up that way like I'm somebody who for better or for worse like I like to look at other people for examples I do this like with artwork too Carol and I'm curious about you as well as as I've been like Inching my way towards doing more digital artwork. I've just been looking at other accounts. I want to see like what's possible. What are people doing? Like, not necessarily what's popular, but like what makes me feel good. And podcasts like yours were so helpful for me and Jason when we were developing this podcast because it was like, oh, it's okay to have. Long podcast episodes. Like, I know you guys just did a three hour one yourself. (laughs) And like a lot of people will see that and be like, Oh my gosh, that's such a bad practice as a podcast. They need to be short. And we were advised not to do long podcasts when we started this. Like people wanted us to make them 30 minutes, 20 minutes, like make them bite sized because who's going to listen to that long of a podcast? And the reason that we went with our length, which is on average 90 minutes is because we listen to podcasts that long, right? Like I enjoy long conversations. I will listen to them on road trips. I will listen to them, even if I'm in the car for 10 minutes, I'll just pick up where I left off. And I'm just so grateful that you guys show up the way that you do in all of these ways that we've discussed today, because it does give people like me permission. Again, like permission isn't even quite the right word, right? But it kind of feels that way. Like, oh, you're seeing somebody else doing something that you want to do and you feel like it's okay because you're not going to be the first and the only person doing it.
1: Well, thank you for that because it also kind of reinvigorates us or at least me specifically of that's why I want to share. That's why we want to create things is because sometimes you get wrapped up in your own story and you think, well, what impact do I have? I'm just one person. But you do realize that every person's story is permission for someone else. Because they see a possibility that they maybe didn't know for their life or their business before seeing the way that you did it. And just going back to your kind of podcast example, it just spurred for me like a quote that I used to have in my head or something I used to say on my Instagram years ago that I haven't said in a while, but it was create from a place of joy, adapt from a place of business. And I really do think that that's sort of how we approach our business is we start with the pure creativity, the thing that we want to do. It's like, Hey, we want to do a podcast that's more longer form. And listen, if we do that for six months and we see that we're not getting traction and we need this podcast to really get traction because we need it for our business, then we'll adapt. But I'm not going to get out of the gate and scifle the thing that I want to do because people are telling me it's bad business practice. I'm going to start off doing the things that I want to do. And then if I have to adapt down the road, I'll do that. So that's just a weird aside. But you just reminded me of
0: that, Whitney. So thank you for that. You're welcome. Jason, did you think of your question? Because I'm dying to
3: know what it is. It came back. Yes. Okay. So first of all, you better say it before you forget it. We're going to get into this. (laughs) Now now that's all this pressure, it's all this pressure to have the perfect lead into the question. Just ask the question. Okay. Lead in. I have not talked about this publicly. This was the worst year for me financially ever in my business. Mm -hmm. And as a result, I started to apply for not just like contract positions, but job jobs. I haven't had like a corporate nine to five job in 11 years, right? Before I started, left that world and went into it. And I think, first of all, there's been, the reason I haven't talked about this publicly is I felt shame around it. Mm -hmm. And I've applied for like close to 50 positions, And I've had three interviews. And that was really weird because I have not had an interview interview. in so (laughs) it was like, yeah, what is this? We remember. Go back to the deep memory banks. (laughs) And I was like, fuck all that. Just be you. Yeah. Yeah. Show up with your Ducky Dale, John Cryer, Yahoo! (laughs) Serious hair and be you and wear the nice Hawaiian shirt. But the shame around it, I realize, is there is sort of a framework of a conversation in the entrepreneurial world of like you know, leave your nine to five job and stop making millions for someone else, make millions for yourself. And only suckers work nine to five jobs. And there's so much judgment I see in the entrepreneurial community around nine to five is bad. Working for someone else is bad. Don't be a sucker. You know, live your dream, quote unquote. But through necessity, I was like, you know what? I'm really struggling this year. It's been the worst year financially what if I dip my toe back in that world by sending out 50 fricking resumes? (laughs) And interestingly, I've been paying attention to my own judgment around it and my own shame of like, well, you failed after doing this for a decade and you're a piece of crap because you you're applying for these jobs. And I'm noticing how much shame and judgment I felt around it. And to take a cue from you guys, just admitting it publicly that that's what I've been doing. I've also hit this wall of like, okay, you've sent out 50 resumes and nothing's come through. Maybe this is a sign from God, universe, Gonzo the Muppet, whatever you believe in, that maybe you ought not go down that road. Maybe it's that you should, you know, grit your teeth and detonate the Lego set and reform it. I guess I don't know that I have a question in all this other than have you guys noticed sort of in the entrepreneurial world this, this nine to five shaming? And why do you think it's so prevalent?
2: Like, what's all this about? Do you want to shame him or should I?
1: Let's double shame him.
2: Double shame him. Yeah, let's tag
1: team shame him. No, the opposite. We're about to pump you up.
2: (laughs) I mean, this is something that's been really interesting for us as we've grown this community of intentional humans who are trying to possibly build online businesses. And it is why, again, we go back to like, it's almost difficult for us to sell Wandering Aimfully to people because we don't, carve out any specific thing where we're like, we want you to leave your nine to five job and start your own thing. Because here's the thing. We actually don't want you to leave your nine to five job. And for a lot of people who run a business right now, and you're so stressed out, we want you to get a nine to five job.
1: We've literally told people to do that.
2: Because the thing is, there is no right answer for everybody. There's just the right answer for you right now. Like that's the thing. Like seven years ago, you it may have been a terrible time for you to get a job because you were just on the cusp of figuring something out and it was working. But that doesn't mean that that's gonna work forever. And I do think you're so right. I mean, in the online business space, there is this toxic culture of nine to five bad, running your own business good. And it's such a caveman mentality because it's not true. It is not true for everybody. It's not true for the type of person that everybody can be different and in different times in their life. And it's also not true just in the fact that you can prosper so much more with a nine to five job that provides you the cash and the like security, quote unquote, to then explore other things on the side that could then lead you back into working for yourself if that's what you want to do. And so I think for us, that's one of the things that, you know, people will sign up for wondering if they are like, my goal is to quit my job in six months and like start my own thing. And I'll just write back to them and be like, great, that's a great goal. But also just know that this is a community where you don't have to do that. And so if you want to keep your job and you actually like your job, we would love for you to do that. And then just build your thing on the side and have it be a side hustle and just enjoy both. And that's okay as well.
1: Yeah. And I'm just such a big proponent of, and maybe this just speaks to how our perspective on everything is colored, but like life in our time here as human beings in this freaking dimension, wherever we are on this planet earth like that is the thing that we're all trying to do. And to me, business is just a tool for me to be able to do that life in the way that I want to. Getting a nine to five job is also just a tool in order to give me money to, to have the life that I want. So like everything ro- revolves around just the life piece and the business or the job. Those are all just tools. And so I think it's awesome that you applied for jobs because it means that you looked around and you said, you know what? I'm not getting the financial like means that I need in order to live the life, my time here as a human in the way that I want to. So I'm going to put on my thinking cap and go down any avenue that I can in order to solve that problem. To me, there's no shame in that. That's like you being a proactive person and actually taking steps towards living the life that you wanna live and not just sitting here and going, well, things didn't turn out the way I thought they would, so I'm just gonna sit here. Like That's proactive. I think that's awesome. And I think we need to stop... This is just like a pet peeve of mine. We need to stop giving people advice as though there is a objective right way or wrong way to make choices in your life and instead say here's what worked for me, here's what could work for you. And I think one thing that I kind of picked up on of the what you were saying about especially like, you know, sending out the resumes and maybe this is a sign from the universe that I shouldn't get the job. And it's like, I really feel like we do this thing to ourselves where when we use that word should of, we like think that there's a right path and a wrong path. We think that there's a right decision and a wrong decision, or we obsess about what the, you know, we extrapolate out the decisions to see like where the trajectory is going to take us. And I feel like when we do that, we put a lot of pressure on the decision-making process instead of just sort of like erasing that future that your brain is trying to fill in for you and going again, back to the experimenter's mindset thing. Like it's not like getting a job is the right decision or getting a job is the wrong decision. It's like, these are all just things that you're trying at this point in your life. And you're going to keep trying things until something feels like it's a natural fit for you to move forward. So I, I just wanted to add that because I do think I do this a lot in my own life of putting a lot of pressure on these pivotal moments where you feel like one decision is going to take you down the right path or the wrong path. And instead of just like, and taking it as it comes and going, you know what, I'm confident enough in myself, in my experience, in my skills, that whatever opportunity is presented to me and whichever direction that takes me down, I'm just going to roll with that set of circumstances and see what happens next.
3: Well, I'm definitely feeling inspired now because I've been on the fence to get a face tattoo. So now I feel like getting a face tattoo will be like, no, you really want to do business with me because you like me, right? It's like you're going to look past the face tattoo. We're
1: all about giving permission uh. here, you know?
2: Yeah. It'll just say triple E. It'll be, what? what is the triple E face tattoo? <laughs> and then you'll forget what the E's are but too. But also
1: an elephant on ecstasy and everyone's like, what?
2: <laughs> That's a great tattoo. That is a great tattoo idea. <laughs> No, I just I
3: am f- falling in love with you guys. I know you know you were kind of joking, Caroline, about collecting Jasons. But if you ever <laughs> need a sub, if you ever need like you know, well, I'm I'm great at you know taking out the
2: trash.
1: That's actually a uh, requirement for my Jasons. So yeah. you're
0: <laughs> you <fit right> in. <laughs>
1: Doesn't do a
2: lot of domestic chores. So yeah, just we'll split those. It works for me. <laughs> Done. Done.
0: Oh my gosh, it's so fun talking to you guys. You mentioned the shoulds, Carol. A recent episode we had was was a lot about removing the word should from our language. And another thing that she suggested, her name is Trisha. She's great. Your joyologist. If you guys, you, Jason and Carol, haven't heard of her, I highly recommend her. I think you'd really resonate. She's a great Instagram. That makes me feel good. And her episode is really lovely. Another thing that she said was she was trying not to say you guys. And that's sometimes I catch myself because... You know, it's not always appropriate. That's one I have to break myself of as well.
3: Yeah, we're doing. What do you say? You humans, you people. You all. Y'all. Y'all. Yeah. Y'all. Y'all has a nice drawl to it. Y'all.
1: Friends. That's one. Okay. That's what I've been trying is like friends instead of guys. Like, hey, guys. Like, hey,
0: friends. I like that. Or some people, they overuse the word love. Like, hey, loves. Mm. Mm-hmm. I'm not as into that one. It feels like a love should be. Oh, see, here I am with a should. In my opinion, I like to use love very intentionally. So it's all about conscious, intentional language. I digress. I am very grateful for each of you because you're comforting. I think that's the best word. This is the reason that I've been part of your amazing community for years. And I think I love being a testimonial. I'm so excited about teachery, which we didn't talk about. But as of the time of this recording... It is being relaunched as a really amazing platform and I'm so excited about and I, I think I'm going to get really inspired to create some new things through that. It's nice when you feel so much joy, even when you're doing business and learning new things like which can feel so daunting as we've talked about, like it's so easy to get burnt out. But one of the reasons that I really appreciate the way that you two coach is it's infused with joy and I am just grateful that you took the time to come on here today because it's just nice to talk in general. And you offered so many amazing perspectives. And behind the scenes, I was trying to write down all these different quotes that you two were saying, because we like to put quotes like that on Instagram, which we'll be sure to share when this episode comes out. And I don't even know how I'm going to choose one, to be honest. (laughs) Luckily, we have show notes with a full transcription of every episode and lots of tweetables and we put things in bold. So for anyone who's listening, who wants to go check out the resources and learn more about Wandering Aimfully and Tea Tree and everything else that we've talked about, not only will you get those links in our show notes, but you can look at the whole transcript and go find all these amazing quotes that were shared. And that is at wellevator.com, which is spelled W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R. There's no E in between T and R I don't even know exactly why we did that. (laughs) I think we were just trying to... It works. We actually wanted to call our brand Wellevate, but that was taken.
2: It was just a typo because they're so close together. Like, oh, dang it. (laughs) Uh, Oh, well.
0: Maybe we were trying to be cool. You know what it probably was, though, which I'm sure Jason and Carol can fully relate to is we were probably just trying to secure the domain name. Yeah.
1: And there weren't a lot of options. Sometimes that's a great reason though yep. for it to be that way. It's like we just we got the domain and we moved on. And we started our business. Exactly.
0: And it's actually been a great practice for us because a lot of people can be judgy. Like, what does well mean? I can't even pronounce that. It's spelled weirdly. But it's been a intentional, embracing. This name that we chose years ago and spelling it out every time. And it is what it is. So if anything, it's part of this big experiment. Absolutely. I think that's probably my biggest takeaway today. So thank you for giving us so much food for thought, for helping us remember how to prioritize our mental health to get back to being humans. Navigating life was the big theme here. And I can't wait to put this episode out. Well, that'll be there for you with the show notes and you can check out Wandering Aimfully on their social media. I love their Instagram. It brings me joy just looking at it. And like I said, all of those links are in the show notes there for you. So you can easily click it and not get overwhelmed or burnt out after listening to such a long episode. And Jason and Caroline, I will see you in the Wandering Aimfully group. And maybe one of these days, J-Ro will join
3: us. Oh, yeah. No, I've got the Kool-Aid pumping through my veins.
0: <laughs> well,
1: thank you guys so much for having us. This, the feeling is mutual. We had such a Great time chatting with you guys. And remember the three E's, the three everybody. E's. It is do you remember the <laughs> elephants? Elephants. Empathy was in there. And
2: eroticism. And eroticism.
1: <laughs> yeah. That's we it. should have like a quiz for anyone who to we the end of this episode.
2: Our own quiz. That's the problem.
0: <laughs> or it's like a little scavenger hunt where you have yeah, to go yeah, listen yeah. to the whole episode really mindfully and like try to figure out what the three E's were. But I would not be surprised if it ends up in one of your upcoming newsletters. We're going to embrace it. There's a fourth
2: theme. Oh, Dang it. Wow.
0: <laughs> Watch, you end up doing an entirely wandering aimfully <laughs> session about this. And you make like one of your little... One of the things I like. Characters, yes, it'll be like Ellie the elephant. But then there's also your wonderful visuals of your business practices. I cannot stop thinking about that bridge that you drew. So, you know, the marketing bridge has solidified in my head along with Hedgie and... Love it. Love it. What's the wizard's name? Lebanese Lebaneseer See, that I'm still working on. And, and all the curiosity we're creating amongst the listeners and Jason Robel, <laughs> I'm sure that'll yeah. entice them to just come join us in Wandering Aimfully because it's a magical place. We do call it unboring group coaching. So we call it that for a reason. And that you have really achieved. It is anything but boring.